0: Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm joined by Sam and Ali to go through this week's Premier League fixtures. And Ali, welcome to the show because you only knew you were doing this show about 15 minutes ago. Good to have you on again
1: <laughs> Yeah, George has picked up the man flu that's been doing the rounds, but
0: uh, I am always lurking at the edge of the box. <laughs> so, oh, we got say, oh, that, is, that is absolutely seamless. <laughs> and Sam, in fairness, has you know, been the international break. These are the things you have to go with the international break. People can come back a little bit worse, worse for wear. And that's why managers hate them when they're so disruptive.
2: Yeah, presumably George played, what, an international qualifier late Thursday night in Australia. Couldn't get back for the game in time Saturday afternoon. Had to be put on the bench for the week. That's just the way it goes. That's what happens when you've got your Mila Yedinax in your squad and also your George Ellix. I think well, he was, uh, and a
1: really, a really good club and team would give the uh, the guy who's next off the bench an opportunity, and if they perform well, you know, it'd be the best spot to lose. So it's, you know, I don't want it to be automatically
0: assumed that George will come back when he's fit. You know that that would be that would be bad for motivation for sure. I mean, in fairness, I, I thought you were very good last time and he was lucky to keep his place the week after. So if you put in another display at light notice this week, it, who knows, it could be the end of George Ellick Here we on, go. on the Edge of the Box podcast. Undoubtedly, one of the biggest games this weekend, probably the biggest game of the weekend, in fact, is Liverpool against Everton. And Sam, there's been a bit of an improvement in Everton recently part of that to do with the fact that players have come back from fitness and one of them being Jack Harrison finally coming into the, into the side because he has made a difference for Everton and they look a bit more fluid going forward in general and I Lewin's fit again, McNeil's fit again. So, Sean Dyche was always saying we're, we're creating chances, we're just not putting them away. They've, they've finally got some players with a bit of productivity in that front three now. Well, front two, three, four, whatever it is.
2: Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, The the Harrison goal against Bournemouth was wonderful, wasn't it? Absolutely wonderful. I assumed it was Dwight McNeil. That's how good it was. Because it was left foot and it was was an absolute cracker. It was like, oh, Dwight McNeil scored a great goal. Forgetting that Jack Harrison had obviously come into the team, despite the fact that he played really quite well, wouldn't you agree, down against Villa um, in the midweek game. Not that Villa were were particularly good. But yes, he's made made a a real impact. McNeil and Harrison at each side. They're very Sean Dyche wingers, aren't they? Goodness me, they're very Sean Dyche wingers. They do the hard yards, they track back. They're very comfortable in the wide areas. They're very good at crossing the ball. So yes, good for Harrison to come in after obviously a slow start with the injury. Good for Dominic Calvert-Lewin to get fit and play a few games. Um, you know, again, he scored against Villa and he said afterwards, I was booed off on the last game. So this is an improvement. It all just <laughs> feels like it's getting a bit better. And you know what surprises me is that it's getting better from an attacking perspective. This is very like contrasting. It's what I think we'd expect from Sean Dyche. When you bring Sean Dyche in, what do you expect? Do you think, right, Tarkovsky's going to head 150 balls clear out of this box and they're going to be really solid defensively going to tighten up? That hasn't really happened. They've conceded quite a lot of goals under Sean Dyche, but he's actually livened them up from an attacking perspective first this season. And that has surprised me just a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, Ali is very Sean Dyche. In Everton's top ten performers, James Tarkovsky is number one with seven point zero five as the as the average rating. He's been mm. playing next to uh, Braithwaite so far this season, who's emerging as a as a talent at centre back as well. But as as Sam mentions, from an attacking sense, we've got the numbers here in terms of big chances missed in the Premier League so far this season. Everton are far and away top with twenty one. Mm. So Sean Dyche was writing that the you know the building blocks were probably there they were they were just missing chances and now they've got these kind of better players back in the final third they're starting to get results.
1: Yeah there's something funny ironic I'm not quite sure what the word is about the fact that Sean Dyche who was in the early sort of era of the football analytics and fanalytics movement Sean Dyche was you know became referred to as the warlock uh, by those who who like looking at underlying numbers, because he was the one at Premier League level, at least, whose teams constantly bucked the trend, uh, constantly scored more than they were expected to, conceded fewer than they were expected to, and uh, and and this is now kind of the other side of it. We've we've all seen the tweets doing the rounds about them, you know, essentially generating as as many chances or, or better chances than I think every team in the Premier League apart from one at the moment. So uh, it's it's impressive. It's unfortunate for them that the chances aren't flying in. Um, uh, but, you know, you mentioned Tarkovsky, and it, it just made me think that, you know, Deich's football philosophy, I would say, is to get the most out of the players that he has by accentuating their strengths and, and trying to make sure that their weaknesses aren't exposed. And I think now this Everton team, he's started to, to really achieve that more so than previously in his tenure. Tarkovsky is a, a big part of that. Uh, but also, you know, I think the midfield of Gay, Ducore and Onana gives them such a great platform to, to play from. Uh, and then, as discussed, those two wingers who are who are good at crossing, uh, and that's a big part of uh, Sean Dyche's his football. But also they seem to have the, the options in the middle or at least one more option in the middle. They needed uh, someone to both challenge Calvert-Lewin when he was fit and play instead of Calvert-Lewin when he wasn't fit. And in Beto, they appear to have someone who, albeit it's only been, what, 250 minutes or so, looks pretty lively and is doing quite a lot of good things in terms of being an aerial presence, being a handful, pressing, getting in quite good positions, getting a lot of shots off. He just hasn't put the ball in the net yet. So either he's a really poor finisher and he will consistently squander chances or, as the case may be, uh, he might go on a bit of a run uh, with a bit of luck and a fair win. So uh, it's it's important to have someone, anyone really, that suited the style outside of, of DCL And I think in in better they've got
0: that. So it's hard not to be pretty positive because it was a season predicted anyway to be full of doom and gloom. Yeah, they spent a lot of money on Beto, actually. I set myself a challenge at the start of the season. I've not done very well with this challenge so far this season in that I was going to watch more football in in other leagues and other countries. I actually watched... Udinese's first game of the, of the season, Beto played against Juve and he, they lost, but he looked actually really, really lively. And I've always thought he looked lively when I've seen him play for Everton as well, but mm. it's just putting the ball in the net does seem to be the problem for him. But you, you're right, having another physical option when Calvert-Lewin's not there because he hasn't been there a lot. Even that, that must be a bit of a confidence booster to, to the Everton fans. Do you do you think we'll ever see him go full Burnley dyche and play Beto and calvert Lewin up top together? Because that, you know, they're a team of, of big boys, Sam as well, when you think of Anana and Decore in midfield as well, the two centre backs, you know, the, from set pieces, they they could prove a real handful if they did that.
2: Yeah, they, they really would. Um I think the chances of that, or the scenarios in which they could do that, few and far between, probably be just because. Um, Onana has become so important uh, or Decore has become so important as the kind of furthest forward midfielder. Uh, I think what Dyche is getting out of either one of those two, depending on who's fit, as the sort of nominal number 10 is really, really crucial to how the, the, the team play. And so if you took a player out to create that second striker role, I think you'd have to take that player out or drop one of those two back. And I'm not convinced that that's what they need to be doing right now because, as we've discussed, they're not. they're not struggling to create chances. They need to put them in the back of the net. And now that they've got Harrison fit, McNeil's back fit, and they've got one of those two strikers plus Onana, like you, you back them to start chipping away at that XG aggression. There will be some scenarios where that happens. Maybe late in games, maybe when you're at home to one of the I was gonna say we, we
1: we c- we could see it this weekend if they're behind against Liverpool mm. with 10 yeah. 15 minutes to go. You wouldn't be surprised if he just thinks right Let's let's get them both up there and start slinging balls
2: into the box. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's a, it's a game state scenario where you're behind, or if you're maybe at home from the start against one of the weaker teams, if they've managed to, to climb out of trouble. I think we're a little bit a little bit far away from that, just because the midfield quality is so strong. Um, and if Onana wasn't as good as he is, I probably wouldn't be saying this, but it's really it's really hard to look past what they've done so far with him. Yeah.
0: Can Everton get anything this weekend? Do, do you think Sam? So? Would you you back them to, to, to go there and pick up anything this this weekend? I mean, I don't want to spoil your predictions, but do you? Where can they? Where can they hurt Liverpool?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a horrible, horrible fixture for them, isn't it? Um, Not no ideal. It's it's just it's just historically, it's been pretty terrible for them. Um, even in the bad days, they struggle to win it. Bad days for Liverpool, that is, and. Um, I mean, I'm not sure not the only one sat here that's thinking that Liverpool look pretty damn good right now. In midfield, especially, they look pretty damn good. So we're, we're singing Everton's praises in certain areas, but Liverpool look even stronger than Everton in these areas. So I think this is a real struggle. This is a, a really difficult one.
0: Yeah. Let's look a little bit at Liverpool now then, Ali, and we'll start with the man who's never far away from, from the headlines or being discussed. It's Trent Alexander-Arnold. Been away with England on international duty. Started the, the first game, wasn't involved in the second He hasn't made the who scored combined 11, which we'll come on to later. But if we flash up his numbers from this season compared to last season, most things are down. He has had a more subdued start. He was really involved in everything towards the the back end of, of last season. I've watched him play a few times. He actually ran the game against Villa. He was so
2: good against because Villa. He so scored ratings, and you're like, yeah. cool." Where was the Where was that against everyone else?
0: Yeah, but other <laughs> yeah other than that other than that game, his ratings haven't been particularly high, Ali. But he is he's doing that same kind of hybrid role that he was doing mm-hmm. at the back end of last season. So on the face of it, there's there's no reason for his numbers to be down. Is it maybe a of that, as Sam mentioned, Liverpool's midfield's better? this season and they're better on the ball, so they're having more of the ball than perhaps the Liverpool midfield did last season? Yeah, it's very difficult really to kind of
1: accurately separate uh, the way in which uh, a team is playing and other individuals in the team are playing uh, onto an individual player and and work out exactly why their numbers might have changed. It it could easily be a system thing and or a performance thing when it comes to trend. I think generally where I stand is... The focus should be on: Are the team performing well? Are the team performing better? And and try not to get too caught up in the individual stuff because, as I say, that that can fluctuate quite a bit. You know, he is clearly doing less of the things that he has done in the past, and that we kind of picture him doing uh, a lot more, uh, a lot fewer kind of uh, assists from open play or xG assists from open play, a lot fewer crosses. Um, but I think the the idea, one of the ideas behind him coming inside is to try and get Mo Salah isolated against fullbacks. Um, and not just Salah, but actually, if you look at the, the sort of ad- average touch maps of Liverpool's right-sided centre midfielder, which might be Harvey Elliott, could, you know, could be any number of players, that they have a real onus on getting wide as well. So Klopp has made a decision that actually he wants the, the players at the very top end of the pitch, holding the width. And... I kind of don't hate it as an idea, even if it means Trent can't whip in as many crosses from wide areas. He can still make brilliant passes from deep uh, lofted ones over the top, you know, curling over the defence, but away from the goalkeeper. He can still do that. Um, and he can develop his his kind of more pressurised possession game, I think, which can't hurt for the long run. So I, I'm still kind of for it, even if his numbers have dropped off. And, you know, just in this game specifically, the idea of, uh, Trent inverting and dragging players inside, sucking them inside to create space for Salah to be isolated against Mikolenko. Those are the scenarios that teams want now. Uh, and, and those are going to be really dangerous scenarios. So uh, I think it's just a case of trying to adapt, trying to change the way that the team plays. And Trent, you know, thankfully being good enough, really, to
0: still hold his own, despite having to make some sacrifices himself. Yeah, let's just talk about Trent in England briefly, Sam. It's not on the running order, but I, I want to ask you about it. How do, well, we're not going to get him into Southgate's team because we don't, we don't have a say, but, <laughs> but he's such a good player. He's so, so good to watch. He played that game in, in midfield in the, in, in the summer, B. It was against weak composition. I thought he was really good, and I think that's probably his position for England now, but surely there just has to be a way to get him in the team. I, I accept that Kyle Walker is, is the right back, and I wouldn't change that, but there has to be a way to get Trent Alexander-Arnold and his unbelievable passing range into that team.
2: Yeah. The thing is, it's just not going to be a right back, is it? Uh, Realistically speaking, as you say, Carl Walker's the right back. And and I think we know that second in line is Kieran Trippier. Um, And I don't know where Rhys James factors into this, but I think if he's fit, he's ahead of Trent too, because Southgate doesn't seem to like Trent very much at right back. And I can understand why. Uh, it's probably the same reason that Klopp has decided to invert him into midfield to protect him against certain defensive frailties, as well as accentuate playing playing uh, ball playing strengths as well. The key to good management. Um, but I think the the way the way into the team for Trent for England is we have a spot in midfield that we can treat as situational. Um, I give a shout out to the Athletics Liam Tharm here for kind of broaching this yesterday. Uh, on social media um, because I really took inspiration from that. I was quite terrified by it actually as well as enthused that England have okay, we don't have the perfect midfield profile to go alongside Rice and Jude Bellingham but we do have like four different ones that we could Hmm. use situationally because it would depend on what opposition we play. So when England play Australia who will sit in, sure, get Trent on the pitch get get him spanking the ball around left and right no problem. Um when England play against a very strong opposition, maybe he's not the one, maybe he's not the move. Um, England get to treat that midfield spot as situational and depends on the opponent and get to pick between Henderson and Phillips and Trent and maybe even Madison or whatever. That's the way in. And unfortunately, it's not an everyday starter role. It's just not. But it is a way in, which is more than he's had for how many years.
0: Yeah, I just absolutely love watching him. He's, he, honestly, his delivery is so so good. I just always think when he's sat on the bench, he doesn't even get on. I just think he's too good a player to to yeah. not be on the pitch for England. He's he's, he's an unbelievable footballer. I just you know, look everyone everyone has their stuff with Southgate and, and England, but I just sometimes sit there and think he has to be in the team in some way because he because he's that good. Talking you've got, of we
2: have got options, haven't we? Like, no, like, well, no I know. I yeah, the wingers. I get, are, oh, Saka and. Who's going to start when all all are fit? Saka and Rashford would be my guess. doesn't matter if it's true or not. Let's just say it's that. Foden, got to be on the pitch. Amazing player. Grealish, got to be on the pitch. You know, it it extends to multiple positions and all it does is speak to how strong a crop of players we've we've got and and Uh how difficult that job must be figuring it all out.
0: No, true. And, and, you know, Liverpool themselves have got something to figure out in midfield because they've got better options now, Ali. It's a different profile of midfield player in their squad this season. They've got Ryan Gravenberch in there. Now, I've actually stated elsewhere that when he gets going, I think that could be one of the smartest pickups of, of the summer because I'm not saying he's as good as Jude Bellingham, but I think he can. he's a bit of an all-rounder like Jude mm-hmm. Bellingham. There's very few things that he's not good at in, in midfield. It'll be interesting to see kind of when he breaks in, Liverpool and if he can stay there but I think he's a real high level footballer. Yeah spot on I I think Pete Gravenberch if he can
1: reach that will be unbelievably exciting now I don't know uh, the full context of the last few years but clearly he hasn't been sustaining a level of Pete Gravenberch so uh, there'll be no doubt reasons behind that and you know I generally back players who are this young and players who have you know maybe started playing their career quite early um, and and had moves and different situations I generally think that that the class will shine through at some point so I definitely think there's a great chance that this could end up looking like a brilliant pickup you know he at his best he definitely makes things happen on the ball both in terms of, of kind of that ball carrying potential that press resistance being a a decent passer and a creator, someone that always looks to play forward, Uh, very front-footed, out of possession as well, I think. but that's Pete Gravenberch, and, and I'm not saying that's exactly what we're going to see straight away. So uh, it's it's not hard to see how it could end up being perfect for Liverpool. But I guess when you join a team that is performing very very well with a, a you know really strong group of players already in, in that position, uh, you know a team trying to hit the absolute highest standards so that they can challenge for for all of the major trophies, you just have to probably take a bit of time to get up to speed, you know mentally and physically as much as anything else. So let's hope we see that ASAP. Okay,
0: everyone fit. Optimum fitness, optimum form. What's Liverpool's best midfield three? We'll all have a go. We'll all have a go. This is a bit off the cuff from me. Sam, you go first. Liverpool's Ooh. best midfield three. Everyone, Everyone's 10 out of 10 for fitness, 10 out of 10 for form. Who's the three that you pick?
2: I mean... And don't Jonathan Wilson what...
0: me and say... Depends on the opposition.
2: I don't. I don't want. Don't want any of that. Just no, no, no. no. Fine. A um, first name on the team sheet here is uh, Dominic Zobrist, who is outrageously good and setting the tone for them in so many ways. Um, Alexis, I think, has been really strong, and I wouldn't drop him. So I'll drop again. I'll, I'll drop Alexis in, and uh, I'm going to make Ali Maxwell smile and say Curtis Jones is the truth, oh, the god honest wow, truth, um, and he's really important, and he just kind of. He's that connected tissue midfielder. He's the the sticky glue that the kind of that kind of puts it all together. Um, I know with you sort of hinting very heavily at fully fit, you know the question becomes well, what about Thiago Alcântara? Because what a footballer and how dumb it feels to leave him out. But like, does he suit this Liverpool three Like, probably I just don't not.
0: know. No, probably not. Ali, would would you agree with that midfield three? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit intimidated by Sam's incredible.
1: Poetic phrasing of the the connective tissue midfielder. That's really yeah. Nice. That is be... day. Difficult <laughs> to disagree with the phrase. Are that isn't it? I've never heard that <laughs> phrase before. <laughs> I've I've never used that phrase before, but I guarantee you, I will use it ten times in the next few weeks uh, on on <laughs> other shows. Um, I, I think I'm probably with uh, Sam. I think it's it's difficult because we 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 don't have a clear idea of Graven Birch's exact level at the moment uh, and obviously Gakpo has played a you know very attacking central midfield role but it doesn't feel like the the, the most natural fit so I'm, I'm happy to go with Curtis
0: Jones at the moment on, on top of the other two who I definitely agree with. Yeah I think Alexis and Shabazz I have to be in there but also I think when Gravenberch is fit he'd be he following I think he possibly gets in but then Alexis is, is sitting as the lone six which I'm not 100% sure about. But I do think Gravenberg has got the, the legs and engine to get around and drop in when, when needed. And kind of shoppers Law could come in as a, as a 10 and they both sit together. It's like, oh... I don't like Curtis Jones though as well, but I'll I'll chat. I'll take Curtis Jones out, and I'll go with Graven Birch because I really hyped him up at that. one. You asked the song. question,
2: uh, mate, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll,
0: I'll, I'm going to break that connective tissue. Was it connective tissue? Was, was that the phrase? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going
1: to yeah, I'm going to break that, which um, which makes a hu- which leads to a, a, a greater injury risk,
0: which is maybe apt for <laughs> Gravenberg. You'd, you'd, you'd imagine so. I mean. None of the, only only like makes it into the Who score combined 11 in terms of form so far this season. So I'll rattle through yeah. the Merseyside combined 11. Alisson in goal, Joe Gomez at right back, Tarkovsky and Van Dyke centre-back Robertson, who may well be injured actually at the weekend, so probably shouldn't be in the 11 now because we don't usually put uh, injured players in, but I assume this was done before he was walking around in a sling. And it's Anana, Garner and Shabaslai in midfield and then Salah, Nunez and McNeil. As the as the front three, so maybe a few more Everton players in there than you would have expected in terms of form this season. But that's what it is. That's what that's what who scored in the algorithm have have come up with. Let's do our predictions then to finish the Merseyside derby segment. I'll do mine first. I've got Liverpool three, Everton one. Sam, yeah, I've Sam? done the same thing. Yeah, it was felt like a that might be a popular prediction. It was like a three-one. Yeah, uh, Ali. Liverpool three, Everton nil nearly has gone, gone for the day. I feel like Liverpool don't keep many clean sheets, but I'm not okay. sure I'm correcting that assumption. But we'll see. We'll see what happens at the weekend. The differentiator there. Chelsea against Arsenal. London, Derby. And Ali, actually, this I think this game shows how quickly football can change. Because do you remember that game a few years ago when Lukaku was starting up front for Chelsea? I think it was his debut and he, he ran right. I think Reese James scored as yep. well. And Chelsea just looked like they're light years ahead of Arsenal. Fast forward a few years. Chelsea look like they're light years away from Arsenal in a completely different way. And I always think, mm-hmm. you know, pe- people say, man, you are years off winning the title, years off challenging for the title. Football can change really, really fast. And I think this fixture is proof of that.
1: Well, yeah, football can change really fast. Um, part of the reason we're sitting here and there seems to be such a big gap between the two teams is that Chelsea changed really, really fast. Yes. Quite a few times since then and that's probably not conducive to, to maintaining a, a really consistent high level and arsenal you know to to kind of stretch the the narrative uh, have been pretty steady in that time period and their uh, improvements were not incredible initially for a year for two years but suddenly you look back over a body of work of of Arteta and Arsenal and you can't argue with the levels that they're hitting and and possibly because they were patient with it and they built something sustainably uh, now it is you know they can be more confident and consistent in its consistency whereas Chelsea are still obviously trying to, to find any sort of consistent performance level even for a Three games in a row, let alone a, a whole season. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see how this one goes, and um, it, it could be, you know, I think it's a good time for Arsenal to to play Chelsea, having beaten City, and, and presumably again just that sort of inf- if there was an inferiority complex, that's going to have been you know blown away, and and I'd love to see Arsenal develop even more of a kind of swagger uh, and and really like you know live the role of of title candidates.
0: Yeah, that result will do wonders for Arsenal, especially the way they did it, Sam, as well, with it, with it coming so late. And I'll feel now that that'll give them real belief, I think, in this total race that they've evolved and improved for, from last season, that they can kind of go all the way. We've just spoke about Liverpool as well. I've kind of got Man City, Arsenal and Liverpool down as the the top three in the Premier League this year in in no particular order. Who's closer to challenging Manchester City. Have, is it Arsenal, who obviously have done it last year, but have evolved a little bit and changed their team? Is it Liverpool, who've completely changed from what they were last year, but they've got that a lot of the players who've been there and done that and gone toe to toe with City before. Which Which
2: team do you think is closer? Yeah, you've definitely got the right, the right sort of shortlist of three there. Um yes. that's definitely the case. They feel Villa, like Villa are my fourth. they feel like the top three um i still shade towards arsenal in this particular debate and I, i can't actually articulate why other than maybe it's just a case of football is a lot of see it to believe it and they pushed city all the way last year liverpool have to close a hell of a gap in order to achieve the same thing while also being jockeyed by arsenal the whole way it feels like a big step for them. And they feel like they're still in their infancy, despite the fact that obviously the midfield looks really good, considering they're only eight games in. Darwin finally appears to be sort of settling into that role. Um, and they're working out the kinks, aren't they? With Trent moving into midfield and back out again, it's happening, but but quite slowly. I still think Arsenal, I still think maybe the body of, of evidence last year, the fact they signed Declan Rice, the fact I just love Gabby Jesus, and that front three is so electric. That's where I go. And I can't even like, you know, you can't even say, like, oh, one's got midweek football and one doesn't because obviously Liverpool have got pesky Thursdays, if for mm. them it's pesky Thursdays anyway, <laughs> which does cloud the schedule a little bit. So I still shade Arsenal, but I think it's close. Yeah, another big thing for Arsenal in that result against City
0: Alley is the fact that they did it without Bukayo Saka. He felt, I mean, he's, imp- he's imperative to what Arsenal do. He's probably their, their best player, but to win a game of that magnitude without their best player again, that must just give them so much belief.
1: Yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. I mean, if they if they don't, if they haven't come out the back of of that result, with the uh, you know the filter of having no Saka, if they haven't come out of that with extra confidence, then I you know I'd be worried about it. You know, I'd be worried about them and their their squad mentality. But I think that they have got a squad personality that is is pretty strong I think Declan Rice probably makes a, a, a big impact on that front but I think the guys who who lived it last year and will be a another year older and and you know even more motivated perhaps you know after the disappointment of last year so just on on that kind of motivation uh, point it's hard to see how Arsenal could could be anything other than absolutely you know throbbing with it um and and Liverpool perhaps slightly less so you know all of these players want to win the title don't they so it's it's kind of a difficult one to 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 sift between but no for sure i think arsenal at the moment for me have a they they have a higher floor and by that i mean i think they've got way less potential for any individual match to go really wrong whereas I think Liverpool still have that in them uh, and I think in a in a title that is generally at the moment decided by 90 plus points I think having that level of consistency where you know Arsenal's defensive numbers are really impressive this season Liverpool's are, are not uh, Liverpool are Will probably score more goals this season than Arsenal, but that's not necessarily um, the, the the sort of strongest dictator of uh, of where you're finishing the league table. So I do think Arsenal's just general level of control and, and consistency is higher than Liverpool. And that's why I would have them more likely to win the title at the moment, or more likely to challenge City, I yeah. should say. It's a great time to talk about this, isn't it? After City have lost back to back games and all of a sudden feels like we can be having these conversations. Well, we, don't, without... we don't get
2: to it very often, do we? No, exactly. Not at all. Uh, so Arsenal limiting City to. XG and Haaland not taking a shot. That was very, that was, that was very, very impressive. Now at the other end, obviously they were actually limited themselves to 0.4 XG, which is slightly less and still bad. And obviously it was a big deflection late on that won the game. So you can take confidence from being able to get through that kind of game without Saka, but obviously it was a little bit sketchy. I think Arsenal deserved to win it on balance, but it came slightly fortuitously when it looked like the game was going to be a nil-nil. But, Holding City to 0.5 xG in Harlem without a shot and William Saliba doing that, that, what? I mean, what that must do for you in terms of confidence moving forward. Like, if you could do that against City, you can do that against literally anybody in the world because they're the reigning treble champions. They're the best attack. They're the best team in world football. And you've just held them with a sniff. It was amazing. So that's the bit that I would really key on from Arsenal's perspective.
0: Yes, Saliba must be, just be sat there thinking, I'll take anyone. I'll yeah. take anyone. No, he was a monster in that game, Saliba very, very impressive. And Chelsea have quietly hit a little bit of form. they won three in a row now, Sam, and that's coincided with Cole Palmer coming into the side. What have you made of Chelsea? What have you made of Cole Palmer?
2: Yes, shoots of recovery uh, and overdue to, to, to be honest with you. Like I've actually, I've been quite high on Chelsea compared to other people this season because Maybe it's a bit of the Sean Dyche conversation from earlier, but it's been pretty obvious that some building blocks have been put into place very steadily. Again, it's a case of missing all your chances. And Chelsea have made a rod for their own backs in that perspective because they chose their strikers. They chose who they wanted to go with. And they knew that Nicholas Jackson was still very new to senior football and potentially quite streaky. So this is their own doing. But very slowly, the building blocks are coming together. Cole Palmer feels like a fantastic signing. Um, I loved him at the under 21 Euros. I've, I've kind of loved him in, in dribs and drabs for City. I mean, bear in mind, he's he's been around for about three years now, I think, or uh, sort of on the edges of squads, and he is yet to hit 1,000 Premier League minutes. I think he's on about 700 or something, 750, and a, about a third of those have come for Chelsea, so like in the last month, considering mm. we've all known about Cole Palmer for a long time. He really hasn't played very much football. So it's been nice to watch him actually make good on that potential, make good on the talk, show his ability. And the confidence that he has on the ball has, I think, changed something for Chelsea here. His lovely ability to link play with multiple different players and different angles. And the way he starts really wide, at tucks line wide, and then the ball's passed to him. And he runs towards the ball and takes the ball and knocks it forwards and then immediately skips past a man and opens up like 15 to 20 yards for other players. I love it. I I love watching him play. And for quite a tall winger as well, generally speaking, he does glide quite nicely with the ball as well. So I'm really excited for for Cole Palmer. I don't know what position he ends up long-term for Chelsea. I don't even know if he has a long-term position because there's so many options. But every time at the moment he's taken to the pitch, he's making a a real tangible difference to the way Chelsea are playing football. It looks confident and it it looks pretty damn good. In fairness to him as well, you know, he got a couple of
0: goals for City at the start of the season as well. So he's he's made an impact in every game he's been involved in really Mm. so far. So so fair play to him. I I watched the the Burnley game, I think it was the last game week of the the season. I thought he was very good in that game. Someone else who's livened up is Raheem Sterling for for, for Chelsea Alley. Still Mm. not being picked for England though, which feels a bit weird because... You know, Maguire still getting picked. Phillips still getting picked. Southgate's still picking those that catalogue of favourites that he has. But Sterling mm. has always been in that catalogue, whatever his form's been. But he's gone to Chelsea and Southgate's just thought, nope. And he, That feels weird to me.
1: Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. He was, you know, one of the first names on the team sheet. England's attack for a number of years was Harry Kane, first name on the team sheet, and Raheem Sterling. Uh, mm. Because... I think his uh, off-ball movement, his runs behind, helped to to sort of complement Kane and, and what he was offering. So uh, Southgate's obviously decided that it, it's time to to give some of the other players a go, and it's not like we don't have an unbelievable group of of talent in those areas. So uh, I don't think it needs to be the end of the world. And and when it comes to England, if he if he doesn't come back and play for England again, you know, again, I don't think it has to be a, a huge issue. I think from from Chelsea's point of view, it's good news i think it's it's difficult to know exactly how much playing for england or not has an effect on a player's confidence and their their swagger and and you know how how good they're feeling about themselves but it can't ever be a bad thing for a player like him to have a a week off (laughs) do you know what i mean he's got a lot of miles on the clock been playing uh senior football since he was 16 to 17 years old so uh, i don't think it can hurt at all and uh, particularly because he has shown moments or at least he's had two or three games really this season where he's looked electric speedier than i remember him looking over the last few years so if you you know if you think of him uh as a kind of uh as a uh, impressive car that needs looking after in order to to hit high performance I think that you know in order to hit high speeds having a weekend off can't be a bad thing but he he needs to do it in a big game for people to really sit up take notice and put more pressure on Southgate I guess would be the inevitable outcome maybe this weekend will be the one I I think he's the sort of player that will benefit from Cole Palmer's presence Uh, I I think to me it seems clear that Chelsea's uh, attacking players the wide players that they've that they have in particular they are either off-ball players who who are you know keen to run in behind or they're 1v1 dribblers and I think Palmer offers something very different where he he has composure on the ball in the final third He, he sort of he doesn't slow the ball down, but he, he looks like he has a lot of time on it, I guess is how I would describe it. And he can thread passes better than, than probably anyone else in the squad just in that last, like, 20 yards. They've obviously got good passes from deep in Enzo. So, uh, yeah, really positive about Palmer and, and the the impact he'll have on players like Sterling, like Mudrick, uh, like Jackson. Uh, can't hurt having someone like
0: that who's, uh, who's a quality creator in those tight spaces. Yeah, we've raved about Cole Palmer, but he doesn't make the Chelsea Arsenal. Combined, 11 Raheem, Sterling does. not I must say, from a an imagery perspective. This is the most satisfying who scored combined 11 I've ever seen because the symmetry of it is just beautiful. The people who are <laughs> listening via audio will not be able to see this, but those those watching on YouTube, they'll just see the lovely symmetry of this combined 11. So we've got David Raya in goal, Ben White, Saliba, Tiago Silva, and Colwell as the back four. Declan Rice sits in front of that back four with Erdegaard and Conor Gallagher either side of him. And then the front three is Saka jesus and Raheem Sterling. Let's go with our predictions then for Chelsea v Arsenal. Ali, I'll let you go first this time.
1: Yeah, I think I think a one-one. I, I think
0: maybe it's a false dawn. I think
1: it's time for Chelsea to put in a, a performance that that makes everyone realize that there's there's something there's something to all the changes and there's 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 potential there. Um uh, so I'm gonna go for one one. One one, Sam.
2: Uh I've got two
0: one to Arsenal. Two one to Arsenal, and I've got two 0 to Arsenal for for this one. I've got, I've gone for Arsenal clean sheet. Yeah, interesting game actually because you would on the way the teams have been over the last twelve months, you would just expect Arsenal to win. But I do think there's something in the fact that Chelsea have got got the improvement. Might be a tougher game than, than some people will think. Let's do the rest of our predictions before we move on to our team in focus section. So, Bournemouth against Wolves, Sam. 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. I've gone for 2-0 two, to Wolves. I very rarely predict Wolves to win. Ale, <laughs> I'm going for 0-0 nil, nil here.
1: I, I reckon Bournemouth has been all break working out how to tighten up and the result will be <laughs> a,
0: a turgid 0-0 nil, nil, and they'll see it as the first building block on the steps to, to better results. I mean, this would be great for George, who'd love this. If anyone ever pulls off a nil-nil, I think you should get like 10 points for that. Because I think that's the mo- <laughs> it's the most difficult result to pull off in a, in a predictions league, I would say. Brentford v Burnley. I've gone for Brentford 2, Burnley 1. Ali? Uh, I'm going to go for 1-1. One, one. Uh, one, you know one. I'm on the, I'm still on the Burnley train, so I'm, I'm, He's there. it's more out
1: of hope than expectation. But I think 1-1. One, 1-0, one.
2: Uh, one, Brentford. 1-0 to Brentford,
0: right. Manchester City against Brighton. Sam? 3-1 to Man City. 3-1 to Man City, Alley 2-1, late, late winner for Man City, 2-1. And I've got niche for this one. I've got Manchester City 4, Brighton 2. Goals, goals, goals in in this game for me. Newcastle against Palace, Alley Comfy 1-0 home win. I've gone the same as you, Sam. It's not comfy. I say what's comfy, 3-0 to
2: Newcastle. That's
0: comfy. <laughs> 3-0 to Newcastle, is it? Okay, then. That's very nice. Forest against Luton, Sam. 2-0, Forest. I've gone exactly the same. 2-0 to Forest, Allah. 1-0, Forest. 1-0 to Forest. We've done Chelsea against Arsenal. So Sheffield United against Manchester United. I've gone for 2-1 to Manchester United, Sam. 1-0 uh, to United, Man United. Yeah, because you're going to have to clarify which <laughs> United there, Sam. So. Allah?
1: 2-0, uh, Manchester United. Oh, no, sorry, 1-0, 1-0. 1-0 to
0: Manchester yeah, United. I've taken right a goal. Like, look, it was VAR. It's going to get chalked out, <laughs> 1-0. Okay, very <laughs> nice. Very nice. Aston Villa against West Ham, Alley. 2 0 Villa. 2 0 to Villa. We love it. I've gone 2 1 to Villa, Sam. Uh, 2 all. 2 all. Ooh, Caja. Yeah, okay. well, not Caja, but yeah, you get my point. Draw another differentiator there. And then finally, Spurs against Fulham. I've gone for Spurs 3, Fulham 0. Sam. 2 0 to Spurs. 2 0 to Spurs. And finally, Ali, to Spurs. 3-1 to Spurs, which segues nicely into the team in focus this week, which is Tottenham Hotspur. And you can tell the person that writes this script usually is a Spurs fan because there was more bullet points put in for the team in focus than there usually is. He obviously wants to hear (laughs) us talk about Tottenham does bet. Sam, if Postacoglu is to maintain this unbeaten start, which looking at the fixtures is a, a possibility. They've got a nice run of fixtures until City at home in December. Would they then be considered title contenders? We've just reeled off the
2: three that we think, oh, Spurs are
0: Spurs unlucky not to be in the discussion that we've just had.
2: Um, they might feel a little bit aggrieved. No, actually, they probably wouldn't because Spurs fans, what's been the rhetoric so far? The Spurs fans are like, no, please, just let us enjoy it. Like, stop making like outlandish projections for our club. Um, we're just really, really happy at the moment and um, we don't need to be in the race or in contention. They just want to say good football, don't they? No, they're, they're just, they're they're just happy football. to go to the stadium and watch a bit of football play nowadays, you know, um, and that's great for them. So I'm actually not going to put them in, in contention for it right now because I'm just going to say that the scars of history uh, will shine through. And Dan, we've watched our team climb to the summit of the Premier League in December at Christmas I mean, granted, it was 15 years ago, but it's happened. And it we still more, finished it was, sixth. It was more than that, wasn't it? Uh, well, we did it in 08, didn't we? We managed no, to get okay. to... I we thought we you were talking to about to...
0: John, John Gregory-era 98. <laughs> no, and yeah, I'm well, it's, it's happened.
2: It's certainly happened twice. Um, the, last, the last time was under O'Neill, I think. And, um, yeah, still finished sixth. So even, even with a really strong August to December, we always underestimate at this stage of the season... Just how long this season is for a start, how I many damn games there are to play. And Tottenham, I think we can all agree, just look a little light in terms of squad quality compared to the three teams that we've talked about in terms of who are in genuine contention. There's a bunch of players here for Spurs that so I'm sure we'll get onto who are tactically really, really important to what Tottenham are doing early doors under Ange. And they have absolutely no one that can step in and replace them if they get injured. There's like five or six of them that are irreplaceable. Right, so if that's the case, and you have to anticipate some injuries through the course of the season, how they deal with that is a big question. And again, I refer back to kind of like a see it to believe it vibe sometimes in football, where like you know, Arsenal have got the depth to get to get through most things, to get through three games a week, and get into April and get themselves into a, a good position. You know, City can do that; that's not a problem at all. Liverpool have done it in the past. They haven't quite seen it from Tottenham and. I just think that the depth will probably be the problem for them in the end. But by problem, what do I mean? I mean, did anyone actually is anyone actually like gonna hold it against them if they're not in the title race? No, not at all. Probably if they not. can get back into the top five, the top four, they'd be really, really happy with that. And they're very capable of that with this with this squad. The top three, however, I think is just another step and a step too far.
0: You said about five or six players, if they're missing them, they can't replace them. Is the man who's missing this weekend, Basuma, one of them?
2: Yes, he, he is. is. <laughs> he is, yes. Not Oliver, not Oliver be... Skip? Uh, no. You couldn't <laughs> even do a job
0: for a, for a game. Though. It's like a game <laughs> well, against Fulham, that's I not would... going to make too much difference. Is it home, not going to so. be Pierre-Emile Hoiberg? Uh, true, it could be him. I, mean... I, just, I always think Skip's the next man in line, but he's not. So,
2: it, it could be either of them. And let's be, let's be honest, like a Fulham at home... Is negotiable without Basuma. Obviously, he's still on four yellows, so he might get suspended again soon, and that might be against a, a stronger team. But that is that is a, a relatively soft fixture to be missing a key player. But like, if Poro or Odogi or Vicario, or actually any of the back five, or Basuma or Madison, all drop out at any point, they are significantly weaker. They've got they've got good options in the front three. And then the rest of it is like, okay, we really need you to play 38 games, man. That's kind it's of, how, that's kind of how it feels. Yep. Very doom yeah. and gloom
0: from you, Sam, there. No, I no, think, no. I think I might have learned something there. Basuma's still on four yellows, even though he got his second yellow and he got sent off. That, yep. that would still mean he's on four yellows.
2: So he doesn't count because it uh, it's a red. It doesn't count, apparently. Oh, I didn't so know that. He can still get his five-game yellow suspension yeah, if he okay. gets another yellow. I
1: think the nuclear option here, which is also the the vibes option. And also on a serious level, the option with the with the sort of most potential, but it's risky, is to get Los Celso in there. Oh, oh next no. to PAXA and just go full vibes. No. And as as Sam said, <laughs> you don't want to be complacent, but it's a negotiable fixture and i just think could lacelso be the i was going to say the cartilage what did you say the connective tissue, connective tissue. <laughs> yeah,
0: <good
1: word. laughs> to, to replace the cartilage that replaces uh, eve Basuma. i mean i know he's supposedly on his way out but i like football redemption stories and you know he's played i think a combined 15 minutes for argentina over the international break so Might be a bit leggy after the flight, but he hasn't exactly um, charged around too much. I think you take a risk, you play Celso, and if it goes well, you play him again when Basuma is suspended again. And maybe the narrative changes if he has a good game or two. Maybe, maybe not. So,
2: hang on. Basically, I I think. Even though he doesn't play for. for... Wow. I mean, that's that's outrageous. What national manager would ever do that?
1: My whole whole point (laughs) is that, that there is a much higher ceiling on this. And therefore, I think it's worth the risk. We know what Hojbjerg in replace of Besuma will look like. He slows the ball down to a greater extent. He's not going to penetrate defences with passes or, or by carrying it as well as Besuma. So we broadly, you know, that's a, we know what that's going to look like. We we know what that, what will happen broadly. He's, he's very solid, obviously, and is probably the, the safer option. And he's got a lot of, Leadership, you know, is clearly a good personality to have, and he's got a bigger sort of leadership aspect in the squad. But I'd like to see Loselso. I just want to give him
0: one more go. No, I quite like that idea. In fact, that feels kind of post-cogluy. If that's a, if that if that's a phrase as well, that he would go for the more attacking option because of the slowing the ball down. He, you know, we'll see. It'd be interesting to see who does start. Well, so I've forgotten about Hoyberg and said skip. Sam said Hoybjerg, and then you've thrown in Lasalso, so it's a bit like an, an extra to the predictions, really, to see who, uh, who comes into that <laughs> bonus that's, that's point. as mid for, Yeah, bonus point <laughs> this week is who plays in, instead of the sumer. <laughs> Let's finish by talking about the goalkeeper Ali Vicario, probably goalkeeper of the season so far, in, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I thought he'd probably be an upgrade in some ways to Lloris, but actually just all round, if you look at the numbers and we'll flash them up on the screen now, it would be a really, really good signing, really positive signing for Spurs.
1: Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Goalkeepers in general and signing goalkeepers, I think is a, one of the... Signing goalkeepers is one of the hardest things for yeah. Premier League clubs to do. It's such a crucial position. There is no time to adapt, as we're seeing with Onana. Uh, the pressure is immense. Uh, the mistakes are heightened. And, you know, the payoff when you make good saves and when you're doing well is smaller than the than the sort of disgrace that is thrown your away when you're poor. So he couldn't it couldn't have gone any better so far for Vicario. Uh, it's been a, a brilliant signing and credit to him for, for adapting so well. For, you know, he made big saves, didn't he, in the first game of the season. And I just think he hasn't really looked back from here. Uh, there is another side to it. I would see it as a bit of a concern in a way that their goalkeeper is having to be the best shopper, a uh, shot shopper. <laughs> i <Bright laughs> not, sure right right not sure what he does on his days off. Maybe he goes to Westfield. He, um, he's um he been the best shot stopper in the league, I think, per the, the kind of uh, advanced metrics. And that's great. But again, with goalkeepers, it's, it's you know, in analytical terms, you you it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to maintain those levels of shot stopping. There's there's so many variables to it, a lot of luck and fortune involved as well as good performance. So I would see it as a bit of concern in that if Vicario's performance drops to the level of an average goalkeeper at a Premier League level, suddenly Spurs are going to be conceding an extra goal every three, four games, and suddenly the results will maybe take a bit of a hit. So, you know, I would prefer to see them tighten up defensively and give, give up fewer chances than uh, than expect Vicario to, to kind of keep bailing them out.
2: Yeah, the the feet that he's got are really quite impressive, aren't they? What a way to say that. His, his feet are very impressive. feet of bigs. I mean, Hugo <laughs> Lloris, gre- the greatest of respect to him in the world, has never really been able to kick a ball properly, has he? Even launched long goal kicks... Have been a player. There he is
1: with a World Cup win, and he couldn't kick the ball. <laughs> 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 he's uh
2: he's been he was fantastic as a traditional as a traditional looking shot stopper, like a David De Gea style goalkeeper for a long time. But he couldn't do what Vicario does with the with the ball at his feet. Like he wouldn't be able to receive those immediate those pinged passes from Basuma, who you know, passes it to Basuma, draws the press on, Basuma straight back and then left or right out to Porro or to Van der Ven or whoever. like... What he's doing with the ball at his feet, Lloris can't do. So he has elevated Spurs' game and allowed them to play to Ange Postacoglu's tactical style in a way that Hugo Lloris simply cannot. And then he's also the league's best shot stopper, according to the advanced metric. So I'm not surprised he's your goalkeeper of the season so far, Dan. He's been, he's been perfect, basically, in every single way. And he has allowed them to play a style that would probably be a lot like Man United trying to play out the back from with De Gea, but if it was Hugo Lloris. So yeah. massive credit to him because, and this, this this doesn't happen very often, it was a real blindsiding. Like, I didn't really know who he was. And I, I didn't know much about I, him. I too, I too tune in for the odd Udinese game, you know? I watch a bit of Serena you know, <laughs> Sunday at 11.30 a.m. In, in England. There's no other game on except in Russia. Like, like wh- wh- why not watch a bit of Serie A? But I'd still not really know who he was. And look at him. He's perfect. He can do everything. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, Lloris had errors leading to goals four, but yeah. they weren't particularly playing like a, an expansive brand of football spurs last season either, but was just struggling with the ball at his feet, which led to goals considered. I think that's the most impressive thing about Vicar, and you've mentioned the metrics for, for shot-stopping. The fact that they are playing this really expansive brand of football. And he hasn't been caught out, From to my knowledge, I don't remember him looking even close to making... Not no. that I've watched every Spurs game, but the ones I have watched, I don't remember him coming close to making a mistake. He's just been pinging that ball around, receiving the ball, almost like a, a number six midfielder. He's been, he's been really, really impressive in a number of ways so far for Kari, I, I mean, I've got the same barber as a member of the Spurs coaching team. And the right. barber said to me, well, he's been raving about the goalkeeper says the goalkeeper's next level and I was thinking I looked at it and looked where they got him from and thought really can he be and he was absolutely right he's been absolutely (laughs) brilliant sometimes the things you hear at the barbers they're the important things you need to pick up in terms of a football knowledge so yeah a little little story a little bit of jack and aura to end the podcast (laughs) this week that does do us for this week's edge of the box thanks to Sam and to Ali for joining me today especially Ali who it really was a last second call up and he performed excellently as always so thank you very much to you both wherever you're taking in this podcast if you could please subscribe like comments all that jazz that that helps us grow we'd really really appreciate it it's been another enjoyable podcast this week if you've learned something subscribe like me I learned about the yellow car thing this week if you've learned something in the podcast why not subscribe and take in next week's as well tell all your friends and family about the podcast and have a great weekend